It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello and welcome to Cadillac On Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. We come on the air today amid a seemingly endless wave of COVID, placing tremendous strain on our hospitals and making more urgent the need to follow mitigation strategies to arrest the explosive rise in cases, most notably through vaccination. Tonight we'll get the latest from the Benton Franklin Health District and later learn about a new outreach effort underway at Cadillac to not only connect people relative to the pandemic in our community, but help them find other health resources that are available. First, we have well documented the relentless pressure on hospitals like Cadillac to not only deal with record numbers of COVID patients, but find other ways to provide care for people in need. We recently visited the Cadillac Intensive Care Unit, which has lately been operating over its capacity primarily due to COVID, with most cases being patients who are unvaccinated. We'd like to share with you part of an interview we did with Nicole Aldos, a Cadillac ICU nurse, and we began by asking her what it's been like in the critical care unit. It's hard. Um, We've had a lot of death in the unit recently, Um, a lot of very ill patients. Um, and it's, it's getting harder knowing that there's things that people could do to stop from getting COVID. Um, and we're seeing younger patients who are sicker. Um, and that's tough. It's been overwhelming. Um, we have more patients than we're used to having. We're overflowed from our ACU down onto the next floor. So it's been, it's been tough on the nursing staff and our docs for sure. What's been one of the toughest things is we try and call families usually once a shift, at least, if not twice a day, um, to update them. And that's, that's been the touching moments for me is, you know, we always call families. We know how sick they are. We know how critically ill they are. And family always says, you know, we want them home. Um, get them better. We need them back. Um, and for me, that's, that's been the biggest thing is, you know, there are patients, but they're your grandparents and your dads and your cousins and your sisters, and we want to get them back to you and we want to get them better for you, but it, it takes an effort from our community. And at the point that they're ICU sick, you know, that chance of getting better is so much smaller. And so we, we celebrate our victories big. Um, you know, every time somebody extubates a patient, you'll hear them telling everybody who walks down the hallway, look at my patient, we extubated, you know, room four or room whichever, because every time we extubate a COVID patient, it's a victory. You know, it's exciting that somebody is getting better and getting to leave the ICU because we don't, we don't get lots of victories these days. Vaccination is crucial. Wearing masks, you know, if you're someone who doesn't believe in vaccination, if you at least wear a mask, you can prevent sharing with others. I mean, it's an act of selflessness. It's helping the community. It's helping our hospital keep from getting overwhelmed. It's, it's something most of our patients who've been sick and get better wish they would have done. Personally, I believe in the science. You know, I chose for myself because I believed in the science that went into this. I think when I look to my colleagues who've done research, who've studied, you know, people who have a greater knowledge and a greater expertise than I do, they unanimously believe in vaccines. And as far as masking goes, I really, I, I feel like it's an act of caring for each other. You know, our community has to carry each other or else we're going to fall apart. And I, you know, it's, it's such a small selfless act. Um, and I really, I feel like if it feels like it violates your rights, then so does having to wear shoes in a grocery store or, 
you know, it's a it's a small piece of cloth or a small piece of material that you put on your face that maybe prevents you from infecting somebody else. And that's that's just such an easy thing to do that can save somebody else's life. I have been so amazed and not just ICU. I mean, I feel like the whole hospital has had to step up, right? We're taking a, you know, a larger volume of patients. Our ninth floor, our step down unit, I mean, they're taking sicker patients. Um, and they're taking them at high volumes. Our seventh and eighth floor nurses, they've had to learn whole new ways of delivering oxygen, you know, to be able to keep patients safe. And it's, I'm just so grateful for the way nursing staff has stepped up and RT has stepped up and our doctors have been so flexible and learned so much, you know, and they never stop trying to learn ways to get patients better. Science is flexible and it changes. And I'm so proud that we've been able to change with that science and, and get better at this and help more patients. And, yeah. Thank you. Seems inadequate for us, but thank you. And, um, <laughs> thank you. Including anything that we didn't cover, the message that you'd like to pass on. I just, just care about your neighbors. You know, wear your masks, get your vaccines, care about the people around you, and hopefully we can get through this together. Again, that's Nicole Aldos, a nurse in Catholic's intensive care unit. Now, since that interview from a few days ago, the strain on the ICU at Cadillac and throughout the hospital has not let up, as Cadillac continues to deal with record numbers of hospitalized COVID patients. Is there any relief in sight? Time to check in with Heather Hill, the Communicable Disease Program Manager with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, before we get to the latest case rates, uh, you've been at this a long time. You're a nurse by training. Uh, You heard that fellow nurse who works in the ICU. Just a reaction when you listen to that. Oh, my goodness. I, I have to admit I'm having quite an emotional reaction because my first job in nursing was actually in the intensive care unit, so I have a little knowledge of of what goes on in, in that world somewhat. And for me, to know how exhausted we are in public health, I know that reality, but to listen to her voice and what she was saying and her message, and I could just hear the concern and the caring and the exhaustion in her voice. And I think her message was spot on. Do it for yourself. Do it for your family. Do it for your neighbor. We we have to pull together as a community and get vaccinated, wear masks, do what you can, because our hospital staff are exhausted and we need to help them. So that being said, where are we? I know we've uh, seen some of the highest rates in the West Coast in our particular region of the country. Are we making any progress? So as I look at the data tonight, um, I wouldn't say our progress is significantly improved. Um, You you have to kind of look at long periods of time. I've said it throughout this pandemic. Don't look at, at today or tomorrow. Look at long periods of time. And you know, we are slightly down in Benton County, but we're going up in Franklin County with case rate. But then when we look at kind of the whole last 18, 19 months, we are worse than we've ever been. Our August uh, case rate was officially the highest case month throughout this pandemic, and it surpassed where we were in December of 2020. So you can look at a day-to-day basis and go, oh, my goodness, slight improvement. But then you look at that piece of data and realize we just hit the worst month of data than we have. And that's when things start to get discouraging. Um, You know, there were 23 deaths in August. There were 10 in July. 
here we are in, in September, and we're, we're barely into the month of September, and 19 have already been reported. So, again, I, my heart goes out to your ICU staff, well, all your hospital staff, because they're the ones facing the fear of those patients and the fear of the families knowing what the result could be. So I know we've done the masking and the social distancing and all of those precautions. School is back in session. We are seeing, uh, at least at the major college football sports level, the professional sports level, they're requiring vaccination or or negative test status and uh, masking as well at ball games and things of that nature. Is it stuff like that that we have to, short of totally going to shut things back down, that we have to make progress as people continue to get vaccinated and that takes effect over the next four to six weeks? Well, again, we could get vaccinated today, but we're not going to see the improvement from vaccination for several weeks. So right now, um, our data shows that we are really too far gone for vaccination to make a dent in our problem in the near future. We still need to get vaccinated because we have a long ways to go. But right now, we really have to pull back and get back to those mitigation strategies that we were talking about all the way up until we got vaccines available, and that's masking, social distancing, avoiding those uh, large crowds. If you're sick, get tested. If you think you've been exposed, get tested. We've got to get back to doing all of those mitigation strategies, which also include getting vaccinated, but again, you don't get your immunity immediately from a vaccine, so there's a lag time for us to see that benefit. Visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. We have one more segment with her, and when we come back, we'll find out another place where people can go to get tested, which is so important as we work to fight our way out of this uh, ever-increasing strain on our health system. Back with more of our program right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program. Before we get back into Heather Hill from the Benton Franklin Health District, I want to update you on how we're making progress in the vaccination area. The latest numbers out of the state of Washington. For age 12 and older, fully vaccinated, the state rate is 65%. Benton County is at 51%. Franklin County is at 45%. And Walla Walla County is at 55%. So we need, as Heather mentioned in our first segment, continue to make progress up the scale on getting more people vaccinated. But at the same time, we also need to follow these mitigation strategies. And I know, Heather, you touched on it in our first segment. If you think you've been exposed, be sure to get tested. And I know the site that has been out at the CBC area near the airport and near Columbia Basin College has been fairly busy, but help is on the way. Tell us what's happening and where other options for people to get tested are. I'd be glad to. Yeah, CDC West has been consistently doing over a thousand tests a day for the for quite some time now, and um, it's becoming more and more difficult to really serve the increasing need. And their positivity rate is up to 25 percent, and that's extremely high. So we're pleased to announce that there is another community testing center opening up, and they're having a soft opening actually tomorrow, the 9th of September. And it will be at Columbia Playfield in Richland. 
They will be operating Sunday through Thursday, 9 to 3. So they're going to be picking up uh, some of the days that CBC West is not able to be open. And it's um, by appointment and walk-in. And you can get onto our website, on our BFHD website, and you can get into our testing area on the website and set up your appointment, or you can walk up. It's a, it's a drive up, park your car, get out of your car, and walk to the testing trailer. So that's how it is being run, a little bit different than the CBC West test site. But uh, it's, it's really a partnership, um, a community partnership, the need was seen, and they found the place to do this, and it will hopefully pick up some of the slack off of CBC West. And that will be at Columbia Playfield, which is located really right next to the hospital, below Richland High School, George Prout Pool, the softball complex over there along Swift Boulevard and Stevens in Richland. And again, those hours, Sunday through Thursday from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. And as Heather mentioned, on uh, Thursday the 9th, which is tomorrow as we're on the air this evening, uh, a soft opening tomorrow, but in earnest, beginning this Sunday through Thursday, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. So obviously the testing is important. And Heather, school is back up. I know there's been uh, lots of events happening, the fairs of, around the region. Uh, there have been concerts. Obviously, we touched on pro and college football games and other sporting events, high school games, for that matter. What should people be doing? Should they be wearing masks when they're even outside at a football game, given where we are with the contagiousness of this variant? I think you need to look closely at your environment and understand that if you're shoulder to shoulder to shoulder with people who are out out of your safety pod, your little closed group, then wearing a mask is going to be important, even if you're outside, because as we talk and communicate with each other in close proximity, even in an outdoor setting, you can certainly pass this virus quite easily in that setting. So I would highly encourage, even in those outdoor settings, to get um, keep that mask on. And, you know, something else we've kind of noticed as school started is we're certainly seeing lots of Kids testing positive, lots of teachers, staff testing positive. But so far, we don't have, you know, again, so far, we don't have a classroom outbreak related to transmission within the school. And that, again, only reinforces just how protective masks are. Our kids are so good at wearing them that that is not the environment so far that we've been seeing outbreaks happen and transmission happening. So, Keep up the good work in the classroom. What we are hearing, though, are stories of, well, you know, is it allergies? My child has the sniffles. Or my child just was kind of nauseous and a little diarrhea. What do you think it is? Those are all reasons to go get COVID tested. It's not the classic runny nose, cough, achy. It can still be, you know, just a little bit of a headache, maybe some nausea, upset tummy, some diarrhea, and that's how it could manifest in kids. So any of those reasons are to go get tested. And are we seeing any of that the first few weeks of school, any any of these bugs that are non-COVID related, as far as we know, that are going around that maybe complicate things? We haven't seen any of those other gastrointestinals that we always worry about norovirus, and we haven't seen that crop up. So, again, if your child is having those kinds of symptoms, again, that's, that's the time to go get COVID tested as well. 
And, and maybe reemphasize the one point that you're talking about with the school, and, and I guess it would apply to an adult that feels uh, like they're not 100%, but let alone their children. Don't send them to school, or if you yourself uh, don't go to work if you're not feeling well. Right. It, that's the time to stay home. We cannot emphasize it enough. We're just amazed at how many times people test positive and say, you know, I honestly thought it was just my Tri-City allergies, and it turns out to be COVID. We're so used to in the Tri-Cities being kind of, you know, feeling congested in our nose and our eyes. But with COVID, as rampant as it is, and particularly that Delta variant, don't just call it the Tri-City crud. Go get tested for COVID. And I know another question uh, when we have spoken on prior programs is the treatment of monoclonal antibodies for patients, uh, for people that do get diagnosed with COVID. I know it's uh, recommended for some after they get that diagnosis or that positive test. Where are we? Or, you know, is that is that still kind of in the formative stages around the community? And hopefully, uh, yeah, is that where you check with your primary care provider to find out if you would be a candidate and where to be that? Right. It's really ideal for those monoclonal antibodies to be used in the first three to four days of illness. When you get further in your illness, then they're not as likely to work. So you have to be early stage in your illness. Your primary care provider needs to refer you to a center that is actually doing, um, it's typically an IV into your vein. And more and more, we're starting to find sites around town, uh, different provider offices, different healthcare systems that will be very soon increasing access to monoclonal antibodies. So there's a little bit happening right now in town in various places, and it looks like there's going to be a lot more coming. And that's, that is such good news for the Tri-Cities. We have well documented all of the strain that what's happened with the latest COVID surge is placed on our area healthcare providers. In the neighboring state of Idaho, they have declared what are called crisis standards of care. Can you give us a quick one minute what that means? And hopefully we don't get to that point in the state of Washington. Yeah, I'd be glad to. And it's kind of an interesting concept. And what it, it means is there's several levels of care. There's your usual standard of care of what you would expect anytime you go into a healthcare facility. But what crisis standards of care means is it's the most extreme operating conditions that could possibly happen. It, it's when the conventional level of care cannot happen because you don't have enough staff, you have too many people for what supplies and what equipment you have, and that's where it gets into those really tough decisions. If you have too many people for the equipment you need, then unfortunately some people may not get access to those life-saving um, devices, and that is what Idaho is facing right now. And unfortunately for us in Washington State, and particularly here in the Tri-Cities, that could be a reality for us where our medical providers would have to make a decision, maybe who gets the ventilator, who doesn't. And the only way we're going to stop that from happening right now is, is we've got to, as a community, do everything we can to protect our neighbors, protect our families, and that's wearing a mask, social distance, stay out of groups, get vaccinated. 
Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. As always, thanks so much for your time. For more information, visit bfhd.wa.gov. Back with the second half of Cadillac on Call right after this. Listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. A reminder, this program is also available via podcast. If you missed any part of it, you can listen by searching Cadillac on Call wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. One of the great challenges with healthcare, regardless of us being in the midst of a pandemic, is reaching out to all segments of our population for and with health services, especially for those who are most in need. Cadillac has recently launched a new community health initiative focused on exactly this effort. It's called the Community Resource Desk. And here to tell us more is Molly Calhoun, who is the Director of Nursing for Cadillac's Medical Group and also oversees this project. Hey, Molly, welcome to the program. Why don't you begin by telling us just what is a Community Resource Desk? Yes, thank you, Jim, so much for inviting me today. You're welcome. So I am very excited to talk about our Community Resource Desk. Uh, It's been a great project, very rewarding. Uh, So really the focus is uh, to make it community-facing and available to our patients um, and the community outside of our hospital and clinic walls. Um, We we definitely realize that health is so closely related to other factors, um, your physical health, that is. So when we consider physical health, we, we want to really consider the social determinants of health as well. Um, and the impact they have on your physical health. So um, when you hear social determinants of health, you want to think about transportation, um, food access, um, uh, clothing, shelter, things like that that are so important and can definitely have an impact on your health. So the goal of the Community Resource Desk is to make um, services that are in our community available to uh, community members or patients. Uh, It's a free service. Our goal isn't to duplicate any of the amazing services that are already present in our community. Um, It's more to draw awareness and help people navigate um, those community resources, connect them to what they need, and also kind of bring awareness to how the needs they have impact their physical health. So it's not only make people aware of the services, but just figure out, help them navigate how they access them. Yes, 100%. So with that, you touched on these so-called social determinants of health, and and probably for most people listening to this program, they have to sit and, wow, that really makes sense that, you know, realizing that people might not have means to get to a doctor's office or get to a screening of some sort, or they might even have the communication needs, whether it's a phone or access to to connect with some of these. Is that that what you're doing and that what the, the intention of this program? Yes, that's absolutely what we're trying to do. Um, so as you put, you know, there's so many ways your social determinants of health can impact your physical health or even your ability to access care when you need it. And we really like to call attention to um, that impact and ways that we can support. So, for example, um, we have relationships with different um, organizations within the community that provide transportation, whether it's a local taxi service, 
um, the um, the uh, transit system. Um, we have vouchers set up. We can get patients and community members to and from the appointments they need to get to um, to ensure that they are able to prioritize their health. Um, and we can also help with uh, some financial assistance if it's needed. And, and maybe, and if that's you, just one example. And that's just one example, exactly. You know, and, and maybe for our listeners, this hasn't been. Uh, up and up and running for what a couple of months and already it's having impact and and I guess maybe how is it helping with what we're trying to get across with COVID and vaccination and education and the like? Uh, Yeah that's a great question. So we started in October of last year really recognizing the need. Um, When we look at our COVID data some of the um, uh, sections of our community that are that have the greatest impact or most impacted by COVID are those with the greatest um, social determinant of health needs. So we really wanted to not only call attention to the community resources that are out there, but also help educate the community um, about COVID, uh, how to protect yourself, how to respond if you have COVID as far as isolation and quarantine go, how to protect those around you. Um, really answer any questions uh, a community member may have about the COVID vaccine. Um, and, and, you know, there are a lot of questions out there. There's a lot of um, fear. There's a lot of misinformation. Um, and it's just been really rewarding to have our community call in. Um, there's no judgment. Uh, we, we recognize that, you know, everyone has a different reality, a different experience. And really what the Community Resource Desk is all about is meeting people where they're at uh, right then, uh, judgment-free and really listening and, and helping understand what their barriers are, barriers are um, and just offering, you know, what, what we know to be true from evidence-based resources and any help we can provide. We've had a lot of community members call in two or three times asking additional questions um, after they had talked to us about the vaccine, which, which is wonderful. We really encourage that. We, we want people to make the decision that's best for them um, based on uh, relevant information. And and what the beauty to me of this program, it's very aptly named. It's called a community resource desk, if you will. The people who work in it are called purely community health workers. Tell us about them and the, and maybe a little bit about the work that they do on a daily basis. Yes, I would love to. So our community health workers um, are new. Uh, they, I believe, started in June, and it's just so exciting that um, – Catholic has prioritized this type of caregiver um, and, and allowed us to hire the three that we did. Uh, they are all Spanish-speaking community members. They don't necessarily have a background in healthcare so much as they have a background um, in the community. So they were, you know, have grown up here. They have the same cultural experiences as so many of our com- community members do. Uh, they are all Spanish-speaking um, and we really looked to to kind of recruit their heart, um, and you know we can train their brain after the fact. So these are just caregivers who are very close to people. I think sometimes in healthcare we tend to to be a little too clinical, and these three caregivers have this amazing ability to keep it person to person. You know they're talking to the community members in ways they understand with shared experiences, and the outcomes from that have just been astounding. It's been really rewarding to watch. And I'm so excited for, you know, the work they're doing now, but also the work they're going to do in the future. And I don't mean to put you on a spot, but you just touched on the outcomes that they're experiencing. But if you can give us an example of what a positive outcome looks like. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, well, related to COVID, we had um, a couple of community members call in who were uh, very hesitant about the vaccine and, and had a lot of questions. And, you know, I put kind of put on my nurse hat and was thinking, you know, if I were to get this question, I'd, I'd probably just <laughs> uh, respond with evidence-based data and present it somewhat clinically. And as I was watching this community health worker have the conversation, you know, they sat down with them. It wasn't in the clinic. It wasn't in the hospital. Um, they went to them out in the community and just had a face-to-face conversation and said, you know what? I live in a household very similar to yours. My family members had the exact same concerns. I had some of the same concerns. Um, and here's what I did. And here's the conversations I had with my family members. They were telling jokes and things like that. And so it's, it's just a different way of relating to people. Um, and, and still it's, you know, they've got all the same clinical information. They just have a different way of delivering it. And, and maybe and that, that um, individual chose to get vaccinated after that. So that was a really great outcome. That, that was one of our first outings. That's a tremendous outcome. And I was going to just say on, as a follow-up to that is, is the, the fact that that, as you mentioned, that the, in, receiving that information for lack of a better way, on their terms, like you said, it's not it's not the clinical or it's not the data, but it's just you know it's the simplistic. Hey, I'm you can relate in their terms. Yeah, I think that has such a huge impact, and not just on COVID, but you know on on overall health in general, chronic disease, and things like that. So it was just it was really amazing to watch, and I think you know as the program grows, I hope to take lessons learned from that and apply it in you know some of our more traditional healthcare settings as well. So. Molly Calhoun talking about Catholic's Community Resource Desk and its array of community health workers. We have some more questions about this program and some other, of course, COVID-related information to bring your way. Get that from Molly right after this. Stay with us. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. We have a few minutes remaining with Molly Calhoun, who is the Director of Nursing with Cadillac Clinic, the medical group operation at Cadillac, and also oversees the community resource desk uh, that Cadillac is operating. And Molly, why don't you, uh, for folks that are listening, you gave such a great description of just what it is. How do people access it? Is it a phone-in? Can they set up and have individual appointments? Uh, yes, they right now it's a phone in, um, and that phone number is five zero nine nine four two two nine five six. They can call in. Uh, we have multiple caregivers available to answer the line. Um, as I said, three, let's see, four caregivers are Spanish speaking, um, and so we also have other uh, language services available um, for for other needs. And uh, uh, you can also go to cadlec.org and go to um, Community Resource Desk there and fill out an electronic form to request support. So if they're not able to be available during the day or during the normal business hours, if it's after those hours, you can leave a message, people will connect, or you can do it online. What a wonderful service. You touched on you know, what you'd like to see and what a win looks like. As you look out, and hopefully we get to a post-COVID world uh, not in the not too distant future, but as you look out one to three years, what does success look like for you with this program? 
Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'd like to see the program grow and morph as the pandemic ends, um, really focusing on community health um, overall. So uh, focus on chronic disease, um, you know, looking at the data in our community to really see where the needs are. We want to further grow our relationships with community partners to be able to offer better access to more services um, and, and really learn from our community how best meet their needs. So, And I was going to say, I know uh, this doesn't operate uh, in a vacuum. Cadillac has a very rigorous, what's called a community health program, um, which operates under a community, what is it, a community health needs assessment that is done every few years. So the, where you go out and the team goes out and, and does an assessment of what those health needs are. And is that what ties this work to that? Yes, exactly. Um, our community health investment team is an amazing group of individuals that, that they are involved in um, collecting community uh, data through our needs assessment, and we use that data to kind of um, formulate plans for a response. They do a lot of other very amazing work that often we are linking people to when they call into the community resource desk. So um, there's some really great courses for children in our schools. The HealthFlex has some amazing offerings from everything from insurance and benefits, things like that, how to enroll in Medicare, um, to cooking classes and all kinds of things. So um, that, that team in particular is instrumental in, in the success of the Community Resource Desk. And as we get outside of COVID, is that some of the, the focus that, that a program like this will do with these workers that, that connects people for health reasons, whether it's, uh, you know, people that have these social determinants of health, they might have more health needs than, than, than other people and everything from diet and exercise or the lack thereof, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, when you talk about what success looks right, like, I really think it's just people reaching out, you know, they may reach out and learn a little bit about a service, they may never, you know, follow through and, and call that service. But I think the first step is is reaching out for help. Um, and just engaging with someone and knowing that someone's there when they're ready. Um, you know, I, I think that's a service that benefits everyone. So and I was going to say, we, we seem, everything seems to be tied to uh, COVID and the pandemic at this point. I know, uh, it, let's maybe separate from the community resource desk, but maybe people will be accessing it uh, in the not-too-distant future relative to COVID as far as where to get the vaccine. But I know you had been coordinating with the team uh, when the vaccines were first evolving uh, some very uh, effective uh, clinics to provide the vaccines uh, for folks over at the Catholic Healthplex. I know we're not ready to talk about um, where people can get these boosters when that's available and when they should be getting it, but I know you you and the team have been doing a fair amount of work on that. When they do become available, is the intent to have clinics at places like the Healthplex uh, to get these again out for the community when they're needed? Yes, absolutely. So right now we are offering um, in our clinics, our primary care clinic in Pasco, um, the third dose for immunocompromised patients um, or and, and community members. Um, and then we are actively trying to plan ahead for the booster dose for the general public. So we're watching the CDC and FDA recommendations. We're working with the Benton Franklin Health Department to be ready to stand up a mass vac site if and when that um, booster dose is approved. Um, so a lot of proactive work going on there. And then our community health workers, um, 
right now also are able to go out into the community and offer small um, community vaccine pop-up events. And we would plan to do the same if those boosters were made available to the general public to the best of our ability. And I know those workers are trained to give vaccine too, right? Yes, yep. They are experts. They've given a lot. <laughs> and I was going to say, uh, again, it's it's probably another few weeks down the road at the at, at a minimum relative to the booster, based on uh, what the what the the federal government uh, mandates and and stipulates. But I know when when at the height back in February and March, uh, the healthplex was a busy place. How many how many vaccines were you distributing during a day? Uh, we I think got upwards of nine hundred a day. So it was it was a pretty big operation, um, and it ran very smooth. We were so great to to have the HealthPlex as a host. It's a beautiful facility, and and um, a lot of work was put into making it you know an easy easy experience for those coming in. Um, you know, the pandemic is stressful, and and getting vaccines <laughs> when there's a high demand can be stressful as well. So our goal is to to ease the way whenever we can. And maybe one more. Uh, 30 seconds, if you would, a concluding comment just about what it means to you to be able to provide this community health resource for our community, especially uh, in this crazy, unprecedented time that we're all involved in. It must be rewarding. Uh, absolutely. Very rewarding. I feel very fortunate to work for an organization who's kind of prioritized, not kind of, they have prioritized this type of work and community outreach. Um, so again, just very grateful that that we have the funding we do, not just from Cadillac, but we also got um, funding from the Cadillac Foundation, which is amazing. Um, and I just can't say enough good things about the community we live in. And, um, you know, there's there's been a lot of challenge during the pandemic, but we've also seen a lot of really great things come, come from it as we all kind of, you know, join together uh, to support each other. So. Molly Calhoun, thanks for taking the time to share with us this very important program. And again, if you'd like to access the Cadillac Community Resource Desk, you can call 509-942-2956. Again, our thanks to Molly. Thanks to Heather Hill from the Benton Franklin Health District. And thank you for listening to Cadillac On Call. We'll talk again next week.